broadcasting from the Business Radio X studio in Orlando, Florida, it's time for Regions Business Radio Orlando. Regions Business Radio Orlando is presented by Regions Bank. Brave the beginning. Member FDIC. Welcome to Regions Business Radio Orlando, presented by Regions Bank, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender. I'm your host, Scott Wall, and I'm a commercial banking leader with Regions Bank here in our Central Florida market. We are broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio inside the Marriott Hotel in downtown Orlando, Florida. And my guest today is George Cheros, and he is the CEO and president of the National Center for Simulation, which is located right here in Orlando, Florida. So first off, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here, Scott. I wonder if our audience, George, knows all of what, number one, NCS is and what that stands for, which is the National Center for Simulation. And you are the executive director and president, I guess I should say. The president and CEO. We changed the title up a few years ago. Okay, so CEO. So I'd love to have you tell, maybe start from the beginning. How did you get to NCS, number one? Okay, I'll give you a little bit of background on me because it's a little bit non-traditional for this industry. Um, I actually grew up in Orlando, a native, not a native, but we came here when I was young. Graduate both from undergrad and grad school. I got my MBA from UCF back in the days when they were just starting a football team. And then took a position with uh, my, back, my MBA was in concentration in marketing and finance. I took a uh, analyst position with a company called General Foods Corporation, which is now part of the Kraft Heinz organizations after a couple of mergers. Started my career at their bird's eye orange juice plant in Winter Haven, Florida. I was there about seven or eight months when the plant manager called me in and he said, George, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. I said, hit me with the bad news first. The bad news is we're selling this business. I said, what's the good news? We want to transfer you to our headquarters in White Plains, New York, and let you execute the, uh, the diligence part for the sale, which lasted about a year. So did all that. Um, being young and single, thought it was a great chance to go to uh, Westchester, New York. I left what was then tiny Orlando for probably the you know, richest community in uh, the United States at that point, Westchester County. Had a great time up there. I was mentored by some brilliant people. Uh, some of those were ended up being CEOs of uh, Fortune 100 companies. And stayed up there for 10 years and did everything from finance to marketing to uh, acquisitions and divestitures. And uh, two things happened after that. One, uh, my, my parents, I was an only child. They weren't in the best of health and they were still in Orlando. And two, um, General Foods got bought out by a company called Philip Morris. You want to talk about a culture shock. Um, we get, an, we get a, uh, an acquisition announced on a Friday, and we walk in our office on Monday morning, and there's a carton of cigarettes waiting for us. Oh, so um, anyway, um, you know, it, was, it, it stayed a, you know, a good company, but uh, things did change. Um, with my parents down here, I decided it's time to get back, so I ended up taking a position with uh, General Mills Restaurants, which is now Darden. Did both finance and marketing as well as I was director of strategic planning when I left. Hooked back up with some old colleagues from the past and we formed our own little venture uh, private equity consulting group, dabbled in uh, real estate finance and did that for about 14 years. And then uh, several years ago, um, one of our clients was a uh, company in the simulation business out of Europe 
They were looking to put an office here in Orlando. I went down to Orlando Economic Partnership or the Metro Orlando EDC at the time, said, I have this company. They want to move to Orlando. They want to hire engineers. What kind of incentives can you offer them? And the response I got was, well, what industry, What do they do? I said, they do simulation work. And they were par- primarily for steel industry, oil and gas. They said, you have to go to the research park and meet the National Center for Simulation. I had no idea it was there. It was the best kept secret in Orlando. And, you know, to, to many people, it still is. And, but we're trying to change that. So I went out there and met with my predecessor, uh, retired Air Force General Tom Baptiste. Um, we hit it off. And, you know, over the next couple of years, we got to know each other and became friends. And uh, one thing led to another. I was, uh, quite frankly, tired of, in my role, uh, traveling back and forth to New York, you know, three or four days a week, it seemed like. I had a young daughter growing up and wanted to really slow things down, and this was a great opportunity. So I stepped in as a COO back then, and then Tom retired a few years ago, and the board was uh, thought enough of me to uh, elevate me to CEO and haven't looked back since. It's a great organization. Well, quite a a journey to get there, and we'll talk more about the industry overall, George, but NCS has roots that go back to the late 60s. Is that right? Actually, uh, NCS... As an organization, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, we were started in the early 90s. But this industry has roots in Central Florida that go back to the 60s. What happened was back in uh, 1950, per- post-World War II, um, the Army and the Navy, because they used simulation technology to plan basically the World War II invasion, really decided they needed to, to cooperate on that and, and work together. And at that point, the Air Force hadn't been started yet, so it was really just the Army and the Navy. And they signed a joint cooperative agreement to jointly work on the development of the modeling and simulation technology is a key priority for the military. From what I understand, it's the longest-running joint agreement between the Army and the Navy that's in existence right now. And, and uh, for our listeners, when you say modeling and simulation, I think I know what that means. Put that in layman's terms for the listeners. Um, layman's terms is if you think of a – well, look, we'll think of it from a, uh, a pilot standpoint – You know, live training is when you get in a real plane and you fly it. Modeling and simulation is you actually get into a flight simulator that can be anything from a structured simulator that looks like you're getting into a plane with all to a uh, desktop video screen. From that one extreme of uh, the small video screen to the full out flight simulator and all the iterations in between, they all have you know their purposes and they all work. But it's it's basically anything that for lack of a better word, simulates an operation they will face in combat or in the field. Predominantly origins all around military, I I believe, right? Correct, in this case, yes. And so what happened was they signed that agreement in the 50s. They ended up joining forces on the North North Shore of Long Island in the old Guggenheim mansion. Um, The Guggenheim family, as I understand, was very close to Charles Lindbergh. And had a real affinity for the whole, you know, airplanes and flying. And so they donated that mansion to the Army and the Navy to do their uh, training operations there and and develop the simulation technology, acquire it. And they did that from the early 50s all the way to the mid-60s when they moved them down to Orlando, Florida, in what is now the uh, old, it's now Baldwin Park. It was the old Naval Training Center. They had a facility in there that they worked out of. And by the mid-80s, early 80s, they had outgrown that facility. So they um, were able to get some military construction money from uh, the Department of Defense 
to build a new headquarters for modeling and simulation on that base. And at the same time, what happened was they were developing a research park adjacent to the University of Central Florida, and that was being done by the county and some of our civic leaders and the university. And they needed what I'll call an anchor tenant to, to really draw industry to that research park. Both uh, Congressman Lou Fry and um, Bill Nelson was a congressman at the time. They approached the military, as I understand it. I wasn't anywhere near here then. And told them, look, if you would, with the University of Central Florida having their school for modeling and simulation, one at the time the only one in the country, if you will build your facility in the middle of this research park, we'll give you the 40 acres of land to build them on. So long story short, military took them up on their offer. They built the uh, base in the middle of the park. And now it's grown to by what is anywhere from the fifth or sixth largest research park in the country out there now. And so follow-up comment on, on that. I know from being in this community for 20-plus years that the financial impact of the modeling, simulation, and technology industry is enormous. Could you put some dollars, maybe dollars and some uh, numbers on staffing for our listeners? Sure. Um, in terms of dollars, the output coming out of that park, because we now have the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, and you know, hopefully soon to be Space Force operating their modeling and simulation, not only the technology development, but the acquisition out of there. So they're about, close as we can guess, about $6.5 billion of contracts coming out of that base every year. What does that mean? There are approximately 3,000 to 3,500 federal employees in there, of which 90% of those are civilian, 10% are uniformed. And then around the state, most of which is in central Florida, we estimate that about 30,000 jobs have been created around modeling and simulation. Average salary is probably around $85,000. So when you think of that compared to a tourism-driven economy in central Florida, it really uh, ups our uh, level of professional highly paid, you know, skilled jobs. Oh, big time. And that's that's an enormous amount of economic output in this town and beyond. Um, yep. When you add on the direct and indirect economic impact, you know, the uh, it ends up getting to about uh, $30 billion. Wow. That's a, that's and a... defense in general is close to $100 billion. We have 21 bases around the state. It's actually $97 billion. Um, but what's really interesting about that in that $97 billion First of all, our tiny little base with 3,000 employees is probably the number one producer. We have almost 10% of that. If you look at the uh, Florida high-tech quarter, which is the east central Florida region and the Tampa Bay region, so imagine everything from Cape Canaveral over to Orlando down to Tampa, just that area does about $11.5 billion of contracts. So the economic impact's even even greater. Enterprise Florida is nice enough to publish these statistics about every two years. So That's incredible. Um, so the the roster of, of members of your organization, how many companies? We have about 335 companies at this point. I would say that 70% of those companies are companies that are actually in the business, meaning they either make a service or a product related to modeling and simulation or training. Um, the other members are actually companies like yourselves, banks, accountants, lawyers, real estate folks, people that want to do business with the companies in the industry. And the technology that comes out of um, the research park, mainly from your, your member organizations, 
is it all military or is there some non-military um, disciplines that, that, that have occurred? Well, it's interesting. If you go back to the, uh, the founding purpose of the National Center for Simulation, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. We were founded with the purpose of taking this technology that was developed in the military and helping to ramp it up in other vertical markets of industry, whether it's uh, medical, um, you know, transportation, construction, you can name all the, you know, the parallel markets that go with it. So what we've tried to do over that time frame is we, we did it twofold. One is if you go back to the early 90s when this was started, and actually one of the original grants that started the National Center for Simulation came out of the uh, Bill Clinton White House, and it was funded through NASA. So, you know, when you talk about space and simulation, they go hand in hand, and NASA was really probably a, one of our first investors. So big cross tie there. But most of what happens in the research park is related to defense. But that same technology, when you think about medical we do uh, medical simulation for you know all four branches of the service. We have the uh, large new VA facility out in uh, Lake Nona that we service. That's a, that is the simulation training unit for all VA hospitals around the country. And if you look at the hospitals in the area, Advent Health is a great example. Pat Connors runs their simulation training program. He's a former PEO Stry Army guy. I think he's taken 11 Army people with him. They now have over 100 patient simulators that they use to educate all of their personnel, ranging from, uh, you know, full out a body in the uh, emergency room to a tiny little simulator that'll, it's basically an artificial premature baby. So it's about, you know, 10, 12 inches long and uh, does everything a baby does, cries, yells, screams, you know, wets a diaper, whatever. But, um, they, they, tra- they have really upped their level of training because just like the military, what they've found is that if you practice on something that's, uh, you know, in the case of medical, that's not a human and you, and you get that down enough, when you go to the human, you're ready as opposed to the traditional medical model of, all right, let's find a human and, and, and practice on them. Well, and I would suspect both for medical and uh, defense the cost of simulation is so much cheaper than the real thing, right? Putting a a pilot, to use your earlier example, putting a pilot in an actual airplane relative to a simulator, ginormous differential. It's it's huge difference. Obviously, the the given is if, you know, when this happens at the beginning, you know, if you're in a flight simulator and you mess up, you hit the restart button and you start over. If you're in a plane, you know, you lose some lives and, uh, you know, some of these planes are approaching $100 million easy. So um, much easier to do it in the simulator um, to start with, which you will see in terms of like the uh, some of the airlines around here. You know, most of those pilots they hire have pilot experience, but the first time they are actually flying their airline's plane, um, there's passengers in it. Mm -hmm. They they got full up uh, training on the simulators. The cost of a simulation exercise is about nine to ten percent of what it is real life fuel and everything else. Sure. So um, you can do as many of those as you want and wherever you want. Yep. Um, so. it, you touched earlier on the kind of the professional nature of many of these jobs with your member companies. Could you speak a little bit if there's a young person that's listening? You know, is it, is this very STEM focused? Maybe something. Are there any paths that your members are hiring for that a young person might be interested in right now? Absolutely. One of the things, if you look at the model, you know, the uh, National Center for Simulation, we have uh, several key objectives that we, you know, chase every year to make sure we're doing what we're supposed to do. One of those 
is STEM education and providing, getting kids interested at a young age. Because with interesting stat, with the University of Central Florida, if you draw a circle at a 100-mile radius around the University of Central Florida, within that 100-mile radius, there are half a million college students. When you take into account USF, UF, Embry-Riddle, Rollins, Florida College, Valencia College, Seminole College, um, there's, a fi- there's a half a million students. And we still have a shortage of workers. That's crazy. And when you think about our workforce, a lot of those guys that started in the 80s and 90s when we you know, built our location at the Research Park have hit retirement age and they're, they're going out in droves. So um, real challenge there. So as far as young kids, anything STEM-related is good. But we're beyond that. I mean, if you look at the acquisition portions of the, uh, the contracting portions of the services, you know, there's lawyers, there's accountants, there's contract people. If you look at the human factors and the way these simulation training exercises are written, they really have to get inside the human, human mind. So we're hiring tons of psychologists. And um, so there's, you know, you can go everywhere from liberal arts to STEM, but I'd say, you know, 80% of it's STEM focused. And, and just to be clear, your members, the companies in this town and beyond, they are hiring, right? They are hiring. Um, if you look at our uh, LinkedIn page, there's companies posting stuff in there all the time. The pandemic, when the pandemic occurred, how did that impact NCS? And could, would you say that the way you're operating now is much different or any different from how you were pre-pandemic? Okay, so pre-pandemic, we were a traditional organization. We had our offices. We were in an office building. Uh, we're in one of the partnership buildings at UCF real close to our industry. We went to work every day like everybody else, and we had all kinds of meetings. We were fortunate enough that prior to the pandemic, um, we had all of our, our operating systems out on the cloud. Um, so the transition of uh, you know working from home and doing Zoom meetings was an easy thing for us. This business being, you know, you think of the big flight simulators, but most of our business is very software focused. Obviously, DOD had a high priority to keep this industry going. So contracts continue to flow. Even more important, where contracts slowed down, the money continued to flow because they didn't want to put their supply chain at risk. Companies like Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman do a lot of work with small industry as their subcontractors. They made it a point to advance dollars to those subcontractors to keep them going. So long story, it's a huge deal. Yeah. Long story short, from a, from a sales standpoint and a contract standpoint, we didn't miss a beat. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think we actually continue to increase like we did year to year previous to that. Yep. What it did do for Central Florida, however, was because these companies, and a lot of our companies have a big out-of-state presence. And at least monthly, most of those companies would come to Central Florida to participate in meetings with the military to get updates on contracts, you know, like every good businessman does. They couldn't do that. We, at the same time, really ramped up our uh, social media presence, primarily LinkedIn, because that's a good professional network, and became kind of that communication uh, conduit for the industry with the military. We did a number of online seminars. I know everybody's probably sick of them now, but we did a number of those. And what ended up happening is our membership prior to the pandemic was about 260 members. Mm-hmm. We're at 330 now. That's a huge growth in the last two years during the pandemic. And I will say that at least half of those companies, if not more, were out-of-state companies who joined because they wanted to be plugged in. 
And the good news is for Central Florida and our economy is many of those companies are now either opening offices in Orlando or in some cases have relocated headquarters to Orlando. So uh, So, folks coming here, more jobs coming here. Absolutely. Okay. When you think about the next 10 to 20 years from, from your desk as CEO president, what does NCS look like in 10 to 20 years? Is it dramatically different? I think we continue to progress, and, and I'll, I'll say it this way. We talked about tech transfer. So when we were originally started, the military, our, our mission was to take this great suite of products that the military developed, get it in the traditional industry. If you look at what's been going on in the last 10 to 15 years with traditional industry, the tech, you know, all the, the technology groups, you know, if you look at Google, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, their level of R&D has so far surpassed the Department of Defense. We now have the information going both ways. Traditional industry is learning from DOD, but probably just as important or more important, defense is learning from traditional industry. We view ourselves as, as one of those conduits to help that happen. And let me give you a great example locally. You hear all this talk about digital twin technology. Digital twin is really, it's being used in all facets of life, but a digital twin is an exact digital replica of something in the physical world. It can be a person, it can be a car, it can be a rocket, it can be a sensor on a manufacturing line. So that technology is really taken off. When you think of modeling and simulation, that's the modeling side of simulation. It's all the math, it's all the the really fun science stuff that's way over my head. Um, But when you think of digital twin, there is probably nobody better at it right now than the Walt Disney Company. (laughs) And they have developed that technology here locally. They share with the military. Um, I'll give you an example. It's pre-digital twin. But uh, up in uh, Great Lakes, Illinois, at the Naval Training Center, there is a operation there called Battle Stations 21. And what it is, it's in a building. It's a replica of a ship at 90% scale. And when you look at it, you walk up to it, you think you're on a dock in Norfolk. It looks like it, it smells like it, it sounds like it. You see the ship, but when you walk that gangplank and you go aboard, you realize, those of us that uh, have been at Disney, that you've just walked on the, the best ride Disney can make. And so what the military did is they partnered up with the vendors that helped design the rides at Disney and Universal, and they created this training environment in this ship that's in a building where in a 24-hour period, those sailors you know, in their boot camp are experiencing fires, floods, electrical failures, you name it. They experience it, and um, it's all you know, simulation by the magic of the theme parks. Wow. So um, you know, we were very fortunate to have that interaction between entertainment we obviously have uh you know ea sports down the street um same thing with all the games they you know so incredible connectivity with all these organizations absolutely and then the one thing i can't ever underestimate is the impact that the university of central florida has on this they produce all these people they are leading edge in terms of uh, modeling and simulation and digital twin technology aerospace engineering UCF produces more aerospace engineers than any school in the country. Hmm. And the other thing that's very interesting about it is they rank them not only, and these are the, uh, the actual uh, companies that hire, they also rank them not only by the number they produce, but of the quality of the engineers they get. And last year, 
they rank second only to Georgia Tech. So when you think of all the other engineering schools out there, you know, MIT and, you know, Caltech and all those, UCF beat them. So wow. we've got a real uh, stronghold on talent here. And But, it, you know, going back to your original question, where I see us is we're that integrator going forward. We do some key events every year, but we are, we are not an event organization. We, our, group, our, our role is to work behind the scenes to make sure, A, the military has the infrastructure they need. Um, you know, little known fact is there's a half a million square feet of partnership space that the military lives and works out of in the research park that was supplied by the state of Florida at a cost of about $150 million over the last 25 years. So we've invested in this industry. We've gotten tremendous returns. And uh, we will continue to help lead that charge on that side, as well as the, uh, the integrator piece. And then probably that third leg now is STEM. It's that important. Um, we start them as fifth graders. We've just received funding through the Navy. We are what is called a Starbase location which brings in fifth graders all throughout the school year. They each get 25 hours of uh, STEM training. We do summer camps for middle schools. And then we have a modeling and certification program for high school students and technical school students. And then we're uh, cranking out as many scholarships as we can for undergrad Uh, and grad students. Uh, We do a big fundraiser every year. And I think over the past uh, five years, we've probably raised – $250,000, which the majority of that goes for scholarships. That's awesome. Events. I I know you're not so much an event planner, but for anybody in our uh, listening audience that might want to learn more about modeling and simulation, any big events coming up on the horizon? Absolutely. Probably our signature event is something called the Florida Simulation Summit. Um, We started it about nine years ago. It's out at the convention center normally. And uh, obviously, two years ago, we did it uh, virtually. Last year, we did it live and virtual. The subject matter, we partner with the Orange County Mayor. So we started it with Teresa Jacobs several years ago. Um, We're now doing it with Jerry Demings. The whole purpose of that Florida Simulation Summit is to to really showcase the technology in non-defense industries. We've done medical. We've done sports. We've done cyber. Um, I am pleased to say that this year... We are actually going to have the summit at the, uh, the new terminal at the uh, Orlando International Airport, and the theme of the summit is going to be digital twin technology and the airport of the future. <laughs> so we're very excited about that. We usually have our summit in the fall, but because the airport is opening their new terminal in September, um, they asked us if we could push it back to January, so we did that. Um, the other event that goes on that we don't sponsor but that we participate is the ITSIC conference, which is the largest modeling and simulation defense conference in the world. It's open to the public. I will ask that, you know, I think you do have to be a U.S. citizen to attend because it is defense-related. But if you want to contact us, we can tell you how to come see it. It's uh, 20,000 people, 400 exhibits plus. You can fly planes. You can crash planes. You can uh, drive tanks, shoot guns, and then you can uh, do all the medical technology. In a simulated environment, let's just make clear to the to the listening yeah, audience. In a simulated <laughs> environment, yes. Uh, uh, I've been. It's a really neat um, array of vendors and companies that show up and bring their their toys. Very very cool. You guys are doing really special stuff for the economy, for our country. Uh, so thank you, number one, and keep up the great work. Uh, how can people find you? Is it, there's a pretty robust website. Right? Yeah, our, our website is simulationinformation.com. 
go there and then you'll see the links to uh, our social media pages and there's our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us. And Scott, I would just like to thank you and Regions for uh, giving us some uh, visibility in your, uh, your business world. Happy to. Keep up the great work. Absolutely. Thank you. I'd like to thank George and our listeners to Regions Business Radio Orlando, presented by Regions Bank, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender. You can enjoy our episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com and selecting the Orlando studio and then clicking on Regions Business Radio. This program is also available on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you enjoy your favorite podcasts. Please be sure to subscribe to the program so you don't miss any of our future episodes. I'm Scott Wall, and you've been listening to Regions Business Radio Orlando on Business Radio X. Regions Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This information is general in nature and is not intended to be accounting, legal, tax, investment, or financial advice. Regions believes this information to be accurate when recorded, but it cannot ensure that it will remain up to date. Consult an appropriate professional concerning your specific situation. The information should not be construed as a recommendation of a specific course of action for any individual or business. All Regions products and services are subject to qualification requirements, terms, conditions, fees, and credit approval. 